0: Hello and welcome, my partners in crime, and as always, I say that in the nicest possible way. Okay, today's case. Um, How can I say? Um, It is a political case because it's about um, domestic terrorism in the 1970s, 1974 actually, to be precise, 1974, 75, 76, this case runs through, but this case goes on and on and on up until the 90s, really. Now, this is a clear case here, and it's been proven that it's a clear case of miscarriages of justice. Now it's called the Guildford 4 for a reason because a bombing of one of the bombings was in Guildford and there was another one actually in Woolwich at the same at the same sort of time and this case was about that. It's also called the Maguire Seven because the Maguire's were another family and I think it was um Jerry um, um, Connell's um, auntie who lived in London at the time. Now Jerry Connell, I'm telling you now, he was an, a nightmare really, uh, you know, a lovable rogue, could you say, in Northern Ireland, because this is where he came from. So I'm gonna go sort of back to start with him, because we have to understand him, to understand how he is not fit in the profile of an IRA bomber here. And this is what this case is really all about. And the Somerset and open, um police, you know, sorry police. This is what it really comes down to. So Jerry, was this young lad in Northern Ireland in this time of all the troubles in Northern Ireland. Now, as I've said to you before, I'm not political and there's no way this is going to be a political thing, but I have to mention certain things within this. And so this is, I suppose, the case of the, you know, the Guildford Four and the, the, you know, the um, Maguire Seven. Now, Jerry was this, as I've said, he from. He had um, I mean, two sisters, a mum and a dad, and his dad's name was Giuseppe, and the dad said that he was named Giuseppe because of the local ice cream parlour on the corner, and he's, you know, the mother liked the name. That's why he was called Giuseppe, but he was Irish, not Italian, as a lot of people sort of thought there was a mixture of the two. No, there wasn't. They was all Irish, and they all come from Northern Ireland, from Belfast. So, in... As he was, you know, say 20, 19, 20, up from teenager time, this and it, Nick Lead, he would take um, <laughs> Lead off the roofs. He was a petty thief. He was a lovable rogue, but he was a petty thief. And no IRA link was ever made to him. Because, let's be honest, any association, especially at that time when you're in Belfast, and the IRA really run Belfast at that time especially you know this area where he came from he was too much trouble he couldn't stop thieving he was bringing attention to them now listen the reason that Jerry left Ireland in the first place was well, because the IRA were actually going to kneecap him shoot him in the knees because he wouldn't stop and bringing attention especially to their safe houses in this area they wanted him stopped now it's a normal thing out there it was at that time a normal thing that they would rule you did as you was told now Jerry wouldn't conform I think he had joined when he was younger the teenage version of that you know, the youth version they threw him out because of this boy couldn't be controlled he wouldn't do as he was told now, you know, the, it's the Provisional Irish Republic Army. They're an army. They train like it. As with any army, they're only going to take you if they can control you, really, and you behave yourself and do as you're told. Jerry couldn't do that. So, what Jerry's father did, because by this stage it, it's caused a lot of trouble in, in Belfast, it caused a lot of trouble for the IRA with their safe houses because he was trying to steal some lead off the roof, him and his mate, and it caused, of course, the English soldiers then saw him and he was messing about on top of the building with a stick, making it look like he was had a gun or not even that he thought he had a gun. But this is the mentality of Gerry at this time. No way was he, or he never even fit the bill, as anything to do with anything to do with the IRA. Actually, They wanted, as I've said, to shoot him in the knee, because if they shoot you in the knee, you ain't going anywhere. That means you're not going to cause them any trouble, you're not going to go and steal anymore, you're going to do as you're told. And his father saved him from that, and so his father then decided he needs to go to his aunt's in London, the Maguires now he did go and now on the way over actually he got on the boat and the father saw him off on the boat and he went on the boat come over to england as many many people did as my family did and that not everyone left ireland because of the troubles they left because of the work irish usually seek out work they like to travel they will take a risk the irish we i've lived so many countries i can't tell you it's in our blood if you're irish you know to go, but Jerry didn't really want to leave. You see, Belfast, but his father made him, because if Jerry hadn't have left Belfast, the IRA would have killed him. And it turns out that him and his mate, that were stealing this, you know, lead and doing petty crimes and bringing attention to themselves, the boy that stayed was killed a few years later, or about a year and a half later, by the IRA, because he wouldn't stop. So Jerry's father, at the time. He thought he made the right decision by sending his child to England. So they got on the boat. He got on the boat on his own. The father waved him off. They all give him a bit of money. Go and see your aunt. Packed his suitcase, you know, with the sausages and all this stuff and that. And that is true. That's what they did. And and even now, when I, you know, come from mind, I'm still bringing stuff back and forward. That's how it was. That's why he was come to England. But when he was on the boat, he then met somebody else someone he knew and together then they thought right we'll start in England and again now Jerry was a bit of a drinker he was on drugs he loved the drugs we're talking about the 70s you know they decided now this man was going to go to a squat so rather than going to his aunties Jerry decides to go to the squat with this young man and I I, I don't know if it, I think it was um, Paddy actually the one he went with I'm not sure which one it was now this squat in London you know in the 70s loads of squats in London still is really the house is empty it's going to be moved into and we always hear this don't we people come over to especially London thinking the streets are paved with gold they're not London is a very hard place to live even in the 70s it's even worse now So they've come to England, they've made it to England, they have popped and seen the aunt, and they said, "Mm, you know, we've got somewhere to stay, we're gonna go and stay somewhere else. Um, Because to tell you the truth, Irish women are not not that easy to live with, they're really not. And this woman was a very strict woman, the Maguires. She wouldn't have had drugs, she wouldn't have had any of that in her home. Typical Irish, um, really, you you do as you're told, and it doesn't matter if you're 20 or 50, you're still gonna do as you're told. And especially by your aunt or something, they have a lot of respect, as they should in any culture, to have respect for your elders. So Jerry couldn't stay with her, really, because he wanted this life in London. He wanted this life, him and his mates that have come over from Ireland to London, to party. So he's moved into this squat. There's a lot of people in this squat. Uh, They're all vegetarians in this squat. They are not vegetarians at all, they come from Ireland, you'll be lucky to be a vegetarian, really. <laughs> Especially in my family, there's no way. There's no way. Um, you know, you're gonna eat, you know, why, why aren't you eating? You know, I can imagine my aunt saying it, why aren't you eating? What, What's wrong with you? You know, so um, they pretended to be vegetarians, right? So he was a lovable rogue, really. Yes, a petty thief. Yes, a drug, he used to take drugs, as many people did in the 70s, and as many more do today, actually. Uh, than then than, um, and they got into this squat and then they met some people in this squat and he loved it Jerry loved it We couldn't find any work you see because we had a lot of bombings going off now in London because the IRA um was, it was it's, And that's why it's called domestic terrorism because they wanted to make their point and their point was we're going to blow up your thing to make you realize that you know I, 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 listen, I'm only speaking I don't know why they've done it but you know, you can assume, can't you, why they've done it. But they did it. Now, this night, so there's, there's been a lot of rows in this. Let's go back to this squat. There's been a lot of rows in this squat, really, because you have one man in this squat that until Jerry and his mates turned up, really, or his mate turned up, he was like the head man. You know, all the girls loved him. They don't forget, it was free sex. It was free drugs. You know, they were they, they living life. They were hippies. They loved life. And Jerry actually loved that sort of lifestyle. It suited him. he he was quite happy here, apart from the lack of money and and not being able to find work. Now in London when you've got bombs going off, and we did have a few bombs going off at that time, you know, before the Guildford and the Woolwich bombings, um, in this case, there was other bombs that had gone off and the IRA were definitely at work here and they've admitted everything they've done. and so. You know, I don't know why they think they're going to lie about these ones, because they've been honest from the beginning. I think then with Jerry, I think as things were going on, they couldn't find work. He didn't want to really go back to his aunties because he knew he, he couldn't live his lifestyle he wanted. She wanted him to go and get a job, live a normal life. He wanted to party. And that was really what all of these wanted to do. Not the Maguires, the Guildford Four. They were just happy-go-lucky, petty criminals, really, on drugs, living in a squat, living life, until the 5th of October, when this bomb went off in um, Guildford in 1974, and I think um, a few days after that, remember the man I said, the squatter, that sort of was the head man until Jerry and his friends come along. Went to the police and said, "They're Irish. They've done it." Now Jerry did say about his life in Ireland, in the squaw, because Jerry and this man had lived it. They'd lived under the rule of the English. Now we don't know because we didn't live that life. They were, I mean. <laughs> They had the troubles in Northern Ireland, has been so stressful on these people to actually live in, but they was born into it. So for Gerry to talk about the English, when he was talking about the English in a derogatory term, he wasn't talking about the English as a whole. He was talking about his experience with the English army, how he saw it from his perspective in Ireland. Now this young man, who went to the police, because he was a bit jealous, and I think it was jealousy, over Jerry getting all the girls and stuff, and because he had a good personality, they loved him, he said to the police that he thinks these ones have done it. Now with the Guildford bombing and with the um, Woolwich bombing, there was a woman involved, and there actually was, and she was an Irish woman, she wasn't an English woman at all, she was a member of the IRA, and that's we know that because that's what they've said since then. So in this squat, we have now, don't we, men and women. So by this stage though, by the time this man has reported Jerry, Jerry's had enough of England. Now I'll tell you the reason why he really left England, because one night, the night of that bombing on the 5th of October, 1974, they was in a totally different part of London and they were sitting on a bench And along come a homeless man, and he sat on the bench, and he was Irish, and he said to them, you stay here, this is going to be your life, and he said, this is my bench, I've been here years. And he engraved his name, or his initials, onto the back of the bench. And I think Jerry Fall then, I think the other one stayed, because he didn't want to go back to Ireland at all, I think that was Paddy. He didn't want to go back or as a poor one of them didn't want to go back and um actually i think neither of them neither of the other ones wanted to go back and carol uh, richardson anyway she was an english girl so jerry then thinks i need this isn't for me i don't want to end up with my life you know on the on a bench so he starts walking along and they've got no money he rings his dad and doesn't want to ask his dad for more money. He doesn't want to be seen as a failure to his dad. Now, his dad asked him, do you need any money? No, no, we're fine. We're fine. But as they finish the phone call and they're walking along the street, he sees a prostitute. Now, in London, we have very high-class prostitutes, and this was a high-class prostitute. And they was trying to joke around with her and talk to her, but she was getting into the car with a punter, but she dropped her door keys. So Jerry picks up the door keys after she's drove off and he goes into her apartment or a flat in London. Very high class flat. And he finds 700 pounds and 700 pounds in this flat in 1974 was a lot of money. Now this is Jerry's, as Jerry thinks, his way out. So he buys himself all new clothes actually. you know, It's just, actually some of the stuff he brought was madness because you wouldn't, I don't know how he even walked down the streets of Belfast dressed like that, but he did. And um, he said, you know what, this, you know, is this a sign really? I'm, I'm going home. Because he'd had enough. So the others said goodbye and off he goes and he goes home. So he never went home because he'd bombed anywhere. He went home because he'd robbed 700 pounds from a high class prostitute. And at 700 pounds in them days and he took it home to his family. and. I think at that point he says he wanted to sort of change his life a little bit, but that was never going to happen. In the end, something would have happened to him um, with the IRA there if he if he had continued on. But he'd gone home, and all of a sudden, you see, because of this this man from this squad had said to the police that it was him, or it's likely that it was them that did this bombing. They um, the police then arrested him. In Northern Ireland brought him back to London and started to interrogate him now the thing is they'd already picked up um, I think Paddy Armstrong Caroline Richardson and Paul Hill he was the last one because he was in Northern Ireland he was in Belfast so he was then taken back by the time that he had got in there they'd already been questioning these other three for a very very long time because in 1970s the law changed on terrorism act, where you could question someone for up to seven days, really, and um, you know with just questioning, you didn't have to have anything on them. The law is actually different today; it's actually worse. They can question you, I think, indefinitely now on terrorism charges. There's a lot of difference now, but given that now. We're not now with terrorism; you're not being investigated by a local police or the Surrey police you'll be investigated by the intelligence officers and people that work closely and have monitored, monitored you, had known you. You know, we've got CCTVs, and I keep saying we didn't have this anywhere in London. I mean, London, you can't move in London without being on a CCTV. Every couple of seconds, you're on there. I mean, really, if you can get hold of a CCTV, you could track everywhere I've been in a day. You know, face recognition, they've got a lot now. So it's a bit different now when they are arresting you now on terrorism. That you know, and that you know, they can arrest you on suspicion of terrorism. That's even if someone has said that you're a terrorist, you can be arrested on that, and they don't then have to release you until they're sure. Which you know, we've got a lot of issues here with terrorism. All over the world has, and any terrorism has to be dealt with. But again, we're not getting into political things here, talking about this case. So now this is where. It really starts I think for the Guildford four so what they do they each have them in each different room they are being interrogated non-stop 24 hours a day for seven days now think about that think about what you would do if you was being interrogated by people that really believe or at first they really believe, because of what this squatter had said, that you are an IRA bomber. You are now a political prisoner, as far as they're concerned. So this that really started. And they could then question you and question you and question you, which is fair enough, isn't it, really, when you think about it? But it's the coercion. It's the putting your gun in your mouth to make you say what you did. It's about threatening to kill your family now these are police officers saying this to these youngsters it's about showing you pictures of the dead that you've meant to have killed now I think Carol Richardson couldn't handle that actually Carol Richardson couldn't handle a lot of this she was punched her gun put at her head you know a 20-odd year old hippie, really. The girl's bloody vegetarian, right? And the girl didn't have a clue about what was going on. They had drug issues. They were coming off of drugs as well. You know, they were taking a lot of stuff in this time, you know, hallucinogenics and everything else. They were coming off, they was having withdrawals. So now you've got all this going on, you have three or four people on at you, 24/7 for seven days. What would you do? Would you think I'm going to sign now because I think that's all they did in the end was sign and I think Jerry actually said he signed it and write what you want because by that stage they just wanted it over. They wanted this interrogation over. We can fight it later because we know we didn't do it. There's no evidence. They wrote the statements or they signed the statements of what the police wanted them to say and now they are told most of these had alibis, I think all of them had alibis, but they were discounted. Now, Jerry's alibi, and I think um, Paul's alibi, was on this bench talking to a homeless man on the other side of London On at the time of this bombing. Now, this is how this case has come about to where it was really squashed, because that evidence was suppressed That evidence, they knew this evidence. They knew after a month of this conviction that these four didn't do this crime. They knew it, but they suppressed the evidence. There was notes on it not to be shown to the defence because that was their alibi. They were there. And of course, the prostitute didn't come forward and say she had been robbed because it was illegal and she probably didn't care. She didn't. So he couldn't prove that he was on this bench. Well, he, he tried to. He told him exactly where it was. Exactly, he said, "There's a, a the man's card." I looked. He carved his initials into the back of the bench. He's a homeless man. He gave him their name. Well, they did find the man, but they didn't say. They never said. So they knowingly, and this is what's so wrong about this case. At first, when you're interrogating someone for seven days, and you believe that they are belonging to the IRA and they are a political, now, prisoner and they have done bombings, I can understand why you want them to get the information, but you know what I can't understand in this case, and which makes this case one of the most tragic cases going really, is because these people actually knew that these people didn't do it, they'd been told, they did nothing, they actually hid the evidence to stop it coming out, to save face, You have put people in prison, for life. And we'll go into that in a minute. But let's talk about the Maguire Seven. Now this is the auntie. Now they was done, (laughs) arrested and charged for building bombs, explosives. That was what they was all done for, including the 14 year old child. So I think it was the mother, the father, yeah, the mum, no, the auntie, the uncle, the brothers, there were some others involved. Then there was Giuseppe, which was Jerry's father, who only came over, really, because his son had been taken out of his bed in Northern Ireland, took to Surrey Police Station and charged with political crimes, and, and he could, they couldn't believe it. So he came over to try and support his son. They arrested him too they arrested him too so anyone in connection with this now you know was arrested and finally charged with it and put in prison for a long time now the Guildford four the judge said in this case that um i mean we don't have hanging in this country anymore but if he could have he would have hung them for it for what they did that's what the judge said or he wanted to give them you know, if he could have done them for treason, which still in this country still holds the death penalty, actually in this country, treason, he wanted to give him that. But so what he wanted to do was give him long sentences, because the judge didn't know if, when they come up for appeal, that he would still be alive. So he gave him 30 years. Now these are innocent people. Can you imagine yourself in this dock? You know you haven't done this. You know every word that's coming out of this police's mouth, all of them. Is a lie. And then you're handed a sentence of 30 years each. <laughs> you know, it's shocking really. So with the Maguires, they were arrested and charged for making the bombs in their home, all of them, including their 14 year old son, the youngest one. They were all given sentences uh, quite long sentences, I think not one of them serves less than, I think, 12 years or or so. Um, but, it, you know, I can't, it's, it's a bit difficult to explain this case because it's a shocking case. Because as these people are sitting right in prison, and that's what was happening to them because they're political prisoners. Now, there is a movie out, and you're, um, it's a really great movie, actually. I think it's called, uh I've drugged up, something about my father. Um... And it shows that, you know, um, Jerry and Giuseppe were in the same cell, in the prison and and that. That's untrue. You know, there's no way that a prison is going to allow that. Prisons are about, you know, what they say, they're about reforming you, but not for political prisoners. They're about, you know, punishment. And so Jerry's father was sentenced, I think, for 12 years. And he was a very ill man, actually, even at that time when he was sentenced. And again, don't forget. For something he actually didn't do and he had absolutely no connection at all to the ira then you had jerry and i think he got 30 years and he was in a different cell same prison different cell um so no, that the movie is is i i think you know it is it is factual there's a lot in it which is factual but of course you know if you eat, if they actually done a movie on actually how it was, in prison. And that movie only depicts really Jerry and Josephus' um, experience in prison. It doesn't actually show you much about Paddy and um, Paul and Caroline's experience in prison, which would have been awful. It was awful. I think Caroline was so distraught anyway at this sentence that she she couldn't believe it. She, they couldn't believe it and then to be put into a prison with um, as a you know political prisoner and say so you're an A-class category prisoner now you're put in there you know I'm lucky they're lucky they even survived and actually Giuseppe didn't um, he died I think five something years maybe a bit more into his sentence he died but um, that was a bit that was, was you know not untrue but they just made it up for movie value in that movie So with these Maguires let's get back to these now you know the aunt the uncle the brothers her sons very young all of them i think all of them got 12 years you know they've all got long long sentences long long sentences and again it's for something they didn't do now I think there's lots of books, they wrote lots of books on this and, and good for them as well to release out their experiences. I can't tell you how it would have been to be charged with something and then prosecuted for something like this that you haven't done at all. And we talk about many miscarriages of justice, don't we? But I think how it ended with this, how it actually came about, was there was a, um, a lawyer and she was helping and the family had never stopped fighting actually you had you know they'd never stopped fighting because you had I think five years into the sentence an IRA bomber actually coming into the prison for other bombings that he's done quite honestly telling these people well you can put me down for the Guildford and you can put me down for the um, Woolwich bombings because I did them as well now he classed himself as a soldier he, you know, he was doing as he was told. He had no reason to lie, this man. He, he never did. He, li- he didn't lie. I mean, it's cold as ice, to say the truth, this man. But he was honest. Because they are political. And if they do it and get caught for it, there's danger. I mean, people, listen, even today, in this case, people are in prison from the IRA that done these bombings but no one has ever been charged with it because they're already doing life sentences for something else, right? They're already doing it. So this case was, what annoys me, I think, about miscarriages of justice is because you've got five victims here and I think one more from the um, uh, Woolwich bombings. Five victims, blown to pieces, blown to pieces. No one has ever been charged with it no one because they're already doing life sentences even though they admitted it then you had the good friday agreement and all this sort of stuff but no one's ever been charged nothing and so you know and why you are then looking at with miscarriages of justice these victims like the guildford four or like the you know maguire seven you've arrested innocent people you've interrogated them you've coerced them with the most, in the most terrible way, by putting guns to their head, threatening their family. I mean, you're meant to, you know, (laughs) you're meant to be the law, or representing the law as police officers, but you've took people off the street, innocent people off the street, and after that, there's still more bombings, because you didn't do your job. You thought you did. All you wanted, and I think this is what annoys me with these police, especially at this time, all they ever wanted, was oh, another one got got that, got that in the press, we've got them, we've got them, no, you didn't get them, you didn't get them didn't get anyone didn't investigate really anything. You took a word of a drug addict, a hippie, in a you know in a communal sort of squat, who was jealous of people, and then you made up a story about these people now, and then you had the evidence and you hid it. And this lawyer, in the end, I mean, listen to try and get these people out. To even try and get an appeal, it was not back, and it was not back, and not back, because they didn't want to be known as wrong. Even though at this point, even though they knew that these people hadn't done this crime, they still would not allow them an appeal, or even to get out. They didn't. They couldn't have it being known that this was one of the biggest messed up cases going probably in bloody history when you when you really read into this case it's a bloody shocking case and if these sort of people these police officers who by the way and i'll say it now was to court, you know because yeah it gross, you know what was it they was charged with i think they was charged with um, gross misconduct this that and the other they was proven innocent now they was proven innocent after all they did to hide evidence, to keep it away from the um, defence, to know, to have statements from the IRA, from Pacific bombers who's told you in interview, well, I've done that, they charged him for the other bombings but didn't put that on his charge, knowing that all these people, all these people, we're innocent. We have a forensic testing scientist in this 1974 that said he was testing the Mary Gold gloves. I mean, it's proven that was absolutely false. These people did nothing wrong. This is what annoys me about this case. They did absolutely nothing wrong at all. And the police got away with it. The government got away with it, really. I think Tony Blair in 1995 apologised, this, that, and the other. I mean, he wasn't in up until then. But you know, what What do we expect from our police? You know, different these days, I suppose, with terrorism, it's different. But it does make me think, you know, when we have these miscarriages of justice, when you have people like these individuals, these about five or six police officers, it was at the time, investigators, they call themselves, you know, detectives and stuff. To, well, detectives, to hide evidence. They, they should have gone to prison themselves for holding it. you've know, took away the liberty of so many people for so many years. I'm ranting a bit. It just annoys me. It really does. So anyway, the case was then held because this lawyer then found out um, after a tremendous hassle to try and get any information out of the files, you know, out of the, you know, archives on this case. And by accident, she was given Jerry's file and in that file there was the suppressed evidence and had on it not to be shown to the defense so then they went back to court on this and that then this people on that day they was literally um it was found to be unsafe and it took many many weeks then for others then to be released out and stuff and it took many many years i think 12 years for just giuseppe's name to be cleared of anything so listen this is a Guildford Four case. It's a shocking case, isn't it? And the choir seven watch the movie and I'm just going to go into a little bit about what happened after because you know this really affected these people's lives. Being in prison is one thing: the stress and the and, and it's hard to be in prison for a crime you've done. But how hard is it to be in there to be sentenced to something? but you haven't done. You know you're innocent. Actually, they even knew you as innocent. They didn't care. Now, I think in February 1977, um, during the trial, right, I think it was at Balcombe um, Street A, A, ASU, the four IRA men, they instructed their lawyers to draw attention to the fact that the four were totally innocent people and were serving massive sentences you know and they were referring to the guildford four but again no one would listen no one so they did try even the ira tried to say hang on you've got the wrong people even when they're in an interview even when they've been charged with something they're still saying but we did that no you didn't they wouldn't have it even though the evidence was there and the young girl that was in the car that they said was carol richardson This English girl, the only English one, actually, that was charged in the Guildford Four, all the others were Irish. But she even said, you know, because they knew there was a girl present, the Irish girl who done the bombings, they said, they knew, it wasn't her. Nothing to do with her at all, these poor people, this poor girl, really, terrible. So as with this evidence, I think it was in 1989 that the detectives of Avon and Somerset Constabulary, or oh, the police investigating, was handling in this case, was found really significant piece of evidence that that they had wrote out the statements themselves. Some were typed, some were wrote out. Um, there was typed notes from Patrick Armstrong, and the police interview had been um, and it been edited. Now listen, if you're going to give a statement, right, you you write it yourself. That you can't edit it. If you edit it, you have to sign every bit. I mean, it's extensively edited. All this stuff, all this evidence that they tried to put forward was absolutely falsified because, of course, there was editing in this statement because the man was innocent. And because then, you know, Patrick Armstrong, this, this or Paddy Armstrong, you want to call him, was having a gun in his head or his, or his mouth, to tell the truth. He said anything. And this is why the stories don't match up. Because when you're put under duress like that, when you're trying to make someone do something, it can never be the truth. And it will always come out in the end, if someone is looking and it happens that this lawyer was looking. So the four, the four which were Jerry, Paddy, Caroline and Paul were all released on the 19th of October, 1989, after having their convictions squashed. Because of now all this evidence and all this suppressed evidence was now allowed in, which proved right from the beginning they were innocent. Paul Hill had also been convicted of a murder of a British soldier, Brian Shaw, and, um, and it was based on, the, on this... Uh, why, why Paul was in there... For the Guildford ones they also really <clears throat> made him say that he had killed brian shaw and that was in why he was in the same custody at the same time with the surrey police so they also got him on that murder something he didn't do so another this soldier this british soldier brian shaw's killer has never been found because again they went for the wrong one now i know a lot of people and um still believe that these all of these Are guilty, right? You do. I know that because I read a lot. And they're not. But I think the police done such a good job, didn't they, to convince people that they'd done it, and they really didn't. And they done such a good job to say they were linked to the IRA, but they wasn't, not at all, none of them. And then, I think Paul was tried, and I think he's even spoke to. Um, Brian Shaw's brother but he won't have it he still believes that he done it now you know that's his right to think that he's lost his brother and and I think the evidence and the way that this case was put across in court, people believed it people believed it because the minute you start suppressing evidence and you have a good you know as I said prosecutor that's going to tell you this story that you're going to believe it's hard then to get out of their minds, you know, and you're talking sixteen years later when these people are released out. That's all they know, isn't it, about what they've heard, really. That that whether you're innocent or guilty is still conflicting because the police weren't convicted of anything, were they, in this case? Of course they weren't. They got off. So then you're giving you're telling people, well, did they do it or not? Did the police actually set these people up or not? Because they weren't convicted for it. Nothing happened to them. And I think this is the perception of what's happening out there with a lot of these cases. is when officers are not charged and prosecuted for doing such terrible behaviour. You know, to intimidate someone, to put a gun in someone's mouth, to terrorise, to interrogate for hours and hours and hours, to make false statements up. And then you release it out and these people go to prison, everyone's cheering because they've gone to prison, you've got them, you've publicised it, we've got them, that's it. It's difficult for people to believe down the line that that's untrue. So I know there's a lot of people out there that still believe that that this was wrong, they actually did it. And I think when you look at the police that they still continue to try and get them for something. I mean, these people were paid out in the end, about 500000 I think, something like that, I think Jerry got, I don't know really, they're not allowed to really say, but it's it's thought it was about that. You know, but he spent 16 years in prison, a hard time in prison. Now, this group, you know, that I said, um, IRA sort of sell that said that they had done it. Um, I think under the Good Friday Agreement, they was released out, but they they were already serving life sentences but they were released out under the terms of the Good Friday Agreement. Three British police officers, I think it was Thomas Stiles their names were, John Donaldson and Fernan Atwell were charged with conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. These are the ones that put all these people in prison for a very long time, um, but each was found not guilty. So they were the names of them. Again, I think in, uh, night for, um, February 2005, Tony Blair, the Prime Minister at the time, issued an apology to the families of all the 11 people involved in this. So that was the end of it as far as our government was concerned. Now, Anne McGuire, she was the aunt who served at the time of prison, and she was awarded um, a medal, I think, from the Roman Catholic Church for her remarkable ability to forgive. She forgave them. And also, then she worked in her community to try and help rebuild the community there. In 1993, Paul Hill married Courtney Kennedy, a daughter of the assassinated American president or American senator Robert F. Kennedy, and she was the niece of the assassinated president John F. Kennedy. Uh, I think they had a daughter in 1999, but legally separated in 2006. Their daughter died at the age uh, died in August August 2019, I think she was 22 years old. So then we have Gary's autobiography. It's called Proved Innocent. And that was adapted. And into this movie. Which was an Oscar and BAFTA award nominated in 1993. And it's it's in the name of of the father. I'll put some links up as well with this. And that had Daniel Day-Lewis and Emma Thompson in that as well. Very, very good movie. Um, but again, it it's it, it sort of... It's... There's a lot of facts. It's a great movie. You should watch it, but they never shared shared this cell, so remember that part as you're looking through this. But it sort of depicts his early life and coming over and really, you know, how bad this really was. Now Sarah, Jerry's mother and Giuseppe's wife, and she spent 16 years campaigning to have the names of her husband and son cleared and helped secure an apology, and she died on the 20th of July 2008. Paddy Armstrong had problems with drinking and gambling and he eventually married and moved to Dublin. Carol Richardson, it's very sad for her. She married and had a daughter soon after being released. Now she kept well out of the public eye, really, because this girl had a terrible time in prison. Really, she did. And she died in 2012 at the age of 55. Gary, when he was released, he went back to Belfast and he died in his home on the 21st of June, 2014. Now his, aunt, his family issued a statement at that time and they said he brought life and love and intelligence, wit and strength to our family, though through these darkest hours. Now, you know, even for all this, these challenges this, all these people had to meet should never have happened. They died very young, these people, Some are still going, but poor um, Caroline, she suffered terribly, I think, and to die at 55, meaning she spent probably 16 years of her life, out of her 55 years, locked up for a crime she didn't do. So listen, this has been The Guildford Four. I hope you found this case interesting. I know I've rambled a bit, and I know I get very passionate about miscarriages of justice. But this is so bad, isn't it? This case, really. It's embarrassing, I think. You know, when you really think about it. About what we've done to people. You know, I think when we look at this case, we have to look at the total of it, don't we? The lives affected. The things that really happens. You know, yes, you can want to move in. You're going you're gonna to see what it is. But to live it. Imagine being one of these people. Now listen, if this girl, Caroline Richardson, hadn't have been English, you could have said, couldn't you, that the Irish were persecuted, really. It's because they were Irish, and really when you look at it, the majority, the majority of these people, apart from one, was Irish. So what are they trying to say in them days? Anyone Irish is a member of the IRA anyone Irish whether you're coming over to England to set up a new life to find work you know is a terrorist it's madness so you know what to do Thumbs up if you liked it you know hit the subscribe button um follow us on Instagram Facebook and Spotify so this will be on Spotify at some point leave me comments and let me know what you think. But I know, listen, I'm not political, so don't leave me any political questions because I'm just not going to answer them. I'll tell you, this straight now. This is about miscarriages of justice. This is what this case is really about. And that's all it can be about. So thanks for watching. Until the next time. Bye-bye.